to The Conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galena. Hello, Henrietta. Hi, Jason. How are you today? I am doing well. I'm doing well. I'm so glad to be back in this rhythm of our weekly podcast. So this back brings into me the great swing of joy. Things. Exactly. I am still away, however. I'm still in, um, in South America. So I'm calling in from here. And I must say, it is a warm, gorgeous day. And I will be headed to the beach afterwards. Not to rub anything oh in, goodness. because I do know you're in London. But, you know, we have to we have to be grateful for these experiences we have um, having a summertime in the winter months. My goodness, <laughs> it's so cold here. I'm literally wrapped up in like two duvets and a hoodie. I'm like, what is sun? What is that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how. <laughs> Sorry, I have no interest in two duvets right now at <laughs> all. <laughs> I'm going to put on my sangha and I'm going to head to the beaches here in, in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> but before I do that, <laughs> let's deal with the matter at hand today. And today, I, um, I'm really keen to talk about the subject, uh, Henrietta, because I love when I pick up something in culture, when, when there's, a, there's a trend, let's say, in culture that I cannot ignore. Everywhere I look, it's there, and I feel it's defining a time, and this is the forum to interrogate this sort of thing. So let me dive right into it. What we're talking about today is essentially the black community defining the new zeitgeist of conspicuous consumption, specifically as relates to sort of head-to-toe dress-in-logo. We're talking about the $500 t-shirts and the $1,700 sweatshirts, whether it be from Gucci, from Amiri, from uh, Yves Saint Laurent, the myriad brands that have now essentially just putting logos onto their, onto which, um, their respective categories and selling it from head to toe. And the Black and the Hispanic community is leading that charge. So I want to unpack this as much as we can, because Henrietta, I have to say, we've been to this point before. We've discussed this with uh, Misa Hilton when, at the advent of the hip-hop culture, uh, Black people really, really, really started to define or shifted the definition of luxury at that time. But there is something salient and seminal going on here right now where Black culture is defining and it's pervasive what is happening in luxury consumption. And, and if, we don't, if we don't document uh, um, some of these, um, adv- well, I wouldn't necessarily call them advancements, but if we don't document some of these shifts in culture, I dare say, Henrietta, they will go undocumented. So let's get a sense of what this all means, what does it mean for culture, what does it mean for our community, and just, just let's just break it down. Yeah, I definitely think it's interesting. You've been talking about this for a while, and... I've definitely noticed a lot of what you're talking about. It's kind of connected a little bit to the arbitrary pricing podcast that we did a couple of years ago, because these products, you know, from my point of view anyway, are just very arbitrarily priced in terms of what makes a $300 t-shirt versus a $1,200 t-shirt. How are we defining those prices and what are they based on? But that's really just down to sort of the margin and the business strategy of things. But in terms of the consumption, it actually seems to be increasing the consumption because actually so many of these brands are doing well. So many of these products are selling out. You know, I'm kind of wondering who these customers are. Are they people that have a lot of disposable income? Are they people that are saving up for this? I'm sure it's a hybrid of the two. 
But it's also influence. I mean, it was this week, I think, or maybe last week, that Cardi B posted her in literal head-to-toe Dior and her baby carriage and her baby bag. So it was a wall of the CD logo. And I just think it really is coming from that place of influence. I think it's really about making a statement, making a statement about your affiliation or your alignment to the brand and their values, or it's an economic statement as to really demonstrating one's wealth. That's sort of my perspective, particularly going back to the Cardi B Dior point. Some of it was actually sourced. So it was like vintage Dior from the Galliano era. And I think that's also a trend that we're seeing where it's just not enough to have the logo thing. It has to be archive or vintage. So it's like you're seeing these really limited edition vintage Dior saddlebags. We're seeing it with Fendi. We're seeing it with Chanel. And I think that speaks to this idea of almost generational wealth. Like I'm that rich that I can sort out not just the piece with the designer logo, but the piece with the designer logo that was created 20 years ago that you can't even find, but I found it and now I'm the only one that has it. Do you see what I mean? So I think it's one of the two. I think it's economic status or maybe some alignment with values like you're seeing with a Balenciaga, for instance, this idea that I'm cool and I'm sort of offbeat and countercultural. I think there's something in that. And I I think you're right. I, I definitely, the history of sort of belonging to a segment of society or belonging, let's say, has always been an aspirational thing for, for Black and uh, Hispanic culture. And definitely the displaying very blatant logo is, is the, the shortcut to identifying what group you belong to, to identify that you are, you know, you're upwardly mobile to, to show how much you make for a living or how much you earn. I think, you know, to, when, you, when you have a logo on an item, those, that pricing is out there and you know, it can be checked essentially. So there's definitely that showing off, that flaunting of what you have from our community. And there's so much, there's so much psychology that's involved in this. I did, a, I did an article last year on black spending power. And just to, just to put some foundational numbers here, you know, black spending power in America um, amounts to $1.4 trillion a year. That's uh, across categories. And there, there are statistics like, for example, a black spend 30% more on, on luxury items in, in jewelry, clothing, cars, etc. than their white counterparts. However, their, their white counterparts feel that black influence is upwards of 70 plus percent. The consumption is there and the influence is evident. We certainly know our influence in our community and that has been, that's also been uh, sort of co-signed by the black community, so, by the white community. So we definitely are sort of influenced when it comes to consuming luxury products is tremendous. But what I, what concerns me, Henrietta, and what I'm looking at and what I'm trying to parse through is, you know, you, you mentioned Cardi B and Cardi B is one, let's say one bucket and over to the other side are her fans, or her fans who are not as rich as Cardi B. Cardi B can buy whatever she wants. She can have her collections of Birkins and Kellys and have her head-to-toe Christian Dior outfit, not just for herself, mind you, um, <laughs> Henrietta, but also for her baby, including her baby Pram, down to the, literally down to the point of her, of her shoes. Mm-hmm. There was a, a, CD, a CD logo that was, em, was emblazoned. 
But Cardi B has made it. She makes millions of dollars. She can afford those sort of things. And of course, you know, her fans are aspiring to sort of flex in the ways that she does. But her fans do not have multi-millions of dollars. But yet they are still the ones that uh, $500 t-shirts, $1,500 sweatshirts, you know, $600 trainers. I am trying to understand without indicting our community, because I think it's very easy to also fall into the trap of saying, oh, look at those people. You know, if they would save their money as much as they spend their money on these luxury items that have depreciative value, then maybe they would, you know, maybe they would advance more as a culture. I think that's a very, very, very dangerous avenue to take because there's so much that really speaks to why we consume in the ways that we do. However, I still want to focus a bit on why is it so prevalent and why are the stakes so high at this point and our community is still buying into it? I mean, for all intents and purposes, uh, Henrietta, to leave your house and to be on trend right now, you have to be clad between $2,500 to $10,000 on your body. Mind you, this is the same community that you're not only dressed head to toe in the, you know, the logo wear of your favorite designer, but you're hopefully, or you're aspiring as well to fly first class or private jet, and all the other trappings of a very elite, wealthy life that goes with that. How did this become the, the norm? How did this become normalized for our community? And why are young and black, brown people aspiring to such a high bar of not success, because it's not necessarily success, it's just symbols of success? Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting question that I don't actually, I don't have the answer and I don't actually know that I have a fully formed opinion on it. I think what I can attribute or what I can sort of take a view on what this is attributed to is probably the time that we're in at the moment. I think with social media and this idea of documenting everything and comparison culture And this idea that we always have to be on, we always have to be performing, we always have to be seen. And with that, this idea of a a highlight reel of your life, right? And I think that there's also an element of fake it till you make it. I remember hearing a Drake story where he bought himself, I think it was like a Phantom Rolls Royce or something like that, when he could barely afford it, when he was on the come up. And now he legitimately like bought the best version of that. And I'm sort of paraphrasing what he said about it, but it was something like, I knew I would have it, so I got it. And now here I am. And so I think there's also a lot of that energy. But it definitely is also, I think, part of the cultural happening in terms of BLM and there being maybe more opportunity or perceived opportunity for Black people, whether that's on a sort of social media level as influencers whether that is token hires, token promotions. There just seems to be a perceived energy in culture right now that Black people are thriving. And so I think that we're seeing more and more of that. I think if you within the fashion realm, we're definitely seeing that with industry folk and the same with influencers. This need to project and present all of the things that people are either being gifted or buying with the money that they now have you know and it's very much like pushing it onto social in a very prideful 
way, whatever the judgment is on that, whether you think that it's right or wrong, I do think that this is a trend that we're sort of seeing more so from Black people within the fashion industry. Much like on the counterpart side, when I'm noticing that there are so many white influencers who are buying Hermes, Birkin and Kelly bags. And so I do think that it's a... uh, it's a little bit of a standoff. Like, look at what I have. Look at how far I'm coming. Look at where I'm going. Much like the earlier point that I made. And um, I think people are saving. People are faking it till they make it. People are also finding different streams of, of income. So I think it's a myriad of reasons. But I definitely attribute it to this social media era need to see and be seen. Yes, I don't, I don't think we can ignore that social media lens at all. And in fact, let's, let's in fact attribute some of this development to the social media space. And I think you make this point about almost celebrity in the hands of your, your average consumer. That's almost really what's happening. Either your average consumer feels that he or she can flex in the same way that celebrities do. And that's why, that's where I find, uh, that's where I find, uh, things to be a little bit problematic because in, in many ways there's unrealistic, um, pursuits or unrealistic goals that are being, that are formulating there. But is it, but, but is thing, it unrealistic though? Because that's, that's kind of, point of, or not the point of social media, but what's happened with social media is it's democratizing a lot of industries, but it's also democratizing a lot of careers and a lot of career paths. Like you are what you say you are. There are so many people that's like, I'm a writer, I'm a DJ, I'm a model. And it's like, where on Instagram, you know? And so it really is this thing of, I am a, I'm a rapper like Drake. I dress like Drake. And that philosophy of faking it till you make it, like I'm going to front like I, where I want to be. So yeah, in a way, they are thinking of themselves as pseudo-celebrities, that 15 minutes of fame, like this is my opportunity, I need to absolutely take it, grab it with both hands and do my best and show up, you know, show up and show out like a Drake or a Cardi or one of the bigger fashion influencers, whoever it may be. Well, here's the thing, though, I, and, and let me make this point. I, I, you bring up the word democratization, and I think that's really interesting, sort of mapped against this point that I, I want to make. Why then have... Let's look at all the brands that have essentially reorganized all of their product offering. What I mean, they have dumbed it down, Henry, and I've looked very closely. They have really dumbed it down just to have logo in each category. Nothing, no, no, no creative output there, just like it's about um, logo placement and so forth. That is essentially the, the design philosophy currently. If we're talking about democratization, and this is happening in the designer space, <laughs> remember the price, the price that I attributed to these these items, $500 t-shirts, $1,500 sweatshirts, and so forth. What happened to the trend? And if we're talking about democratization, this is a wonderful way (laughs) of having our community be included, and we can speak to democratization, and that's through diffusion. Remember, (laughs) there has been, the the last 15, 10, 15 years has been around brand partnering with uh, uh, fashion, uh, fashion stores and producing lines that could really reach a much wider audience that could effectively reach people in our community who could afford those, who could afford those labels at their designer price point. But what's 
highly alarming is now we have completely changed that script and the brands are like, oh, wait a minute. These people will do whatever they need to do in order to acquire that $500 sweatshirt. Why do we need to sell that sweatshirt for $60 at Target through some diffusion um, partnership? Let's go directly at a designer level. Not that this sweatshirt is going to have any great, um, any greater sort of like quality, but it is going to be at a position at a designer level and therefore at a designer point, price point. And I think that strategy is what's so sinister about what's going on right now. It's really like selling this community almost like a, a bag of tricks, <laughs> for lack of a better term. I, I, you could, I do see why you say that, but I also think that Firstly, if you build it, they will come. So I think there is definitely an element of that. But I think it it is also a part of, you know, if you think about streetwear culture and how that's really infiltrated every, literally every fashion business and brand. If you think about someone who, you know, has status and wealth and, and really values those things as they project that out into the world, I don't think they would want to go to Target or Gap or Zara to get those items they want to align themselves with brands that they identify with. So it would make sense that they would want those brands to service their needs and cater to their tastes. So it would make sense that a Gucci or a Balenciaga would have a hoodie, brands that traditionally wouldn't even touch the category of streetwear, like a Chanel or a Dior and making sneakers. For that customer that's like, I want to tap into this trend, but I want to tap into this trend via the brands that I have an affinity to. So I think it's really just catering to a trend, but more specifically to a demographic of people who want to participate in that trend. So I understand it from a business perspective and I understand it from a consumer perspective. I guess from my point of view, the thing I'm really struggling with is the price point. Of course, it's in line with the brand. You know, if you're going to buy a Balenciaga sweatshirt, it's likely $2,000 because that's maybe a lower price point for Balenciaga in terms of when you compare it to like a dress, for instance. I just, I can't wrap my head around the pricing because to your point, it's not so much quality. I think obviously there's an elevated component to it in terms of, you know, sourcing the better jersey or the better fleece or the whatever and putting it together by maybe the experts that are making and tailoring the the mainline collections. I don't know. But the price point is so arbitrary. It's almost like they're just like, sure, sell it for like three grand. It's fine. Like, that's the thing that I can't quite wrap my head around. Well, um, I have to say that's a a big point of contention for me because, yes, in some ways I do feel that arbitrary price point or that arbitrary pricing rather, and I think it's really feeding into or leaning on the weakness of our young black and brown people to show that they have money, whether or not they do. This is a very This is a shortcut way of saying, look at my status. I have a $2,000 Balenciaga uh, sweatshirt on. So I think that there is something more sinister at play here and very pervasive where the brands are, yes, this is a trend, but the brands are catering to this community that's influencing this trend tremendously. But in my estimation, this is not a community that can support this sort of ongoing acquisition, but yet they seem to, yet they seem to. And again, 
again, the pervasiveness of it is what's so troubling to me. Everywhere I turn, Henrietta, every influencer, particularly in the, in the, in the black space, every influencer, I look at their outfits, A, the, the places that they're going to, and I'm not, you know, I'm not counting anyone's pocket, the places that they're going to and how flagrant and blatant they're being about, you know, how expensive that they are, what they're wearing when they're getting there. And mind you, they're doing full outfit changes of a single designer, head-to-toe designer, every single day of like the highest price-pointed item. I'm like, where is this going? And mind you, we're talking about young 20-something-year-old people who are mainly leading that charge. I find the whole thing to just be very, very sort of suspect as to what's happening in culture. And, it's, it, 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 oh, and mind you, mind you, that influence is not just across, you know, that influence is not just to their immediate community. This influence is going across gender and, and sort of like socioeconomic position. This is now the zeitgeist in the fashion space. If you're not wearing blatant logos and um, festooned on your garments, whatever, whatever of a category of garment that is, you're really not flexing in modern day, you know, sort of fashion, fashion style. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I personally don't think it's anything new. I think that generally youth culture can be largely organized around identifying with brands and logos. I think every generation you see it in the 90s and the 80s, not so much maybe in the 70s and 60s, but definitely in recent history that's kind of a trend of of youth culture which makes sense in terms of you're finding your voice you're finding your personality you're finding how you want to move through the world sartorially and that's probably the sort of first types of stepping stones right it's relatively elementary at that point well here's here's a point that i want to make and maybe i'm maybe i'm skirting around this I, i haven't hit this on the nail on the i haven't hit the nail on the head quite quite clearly yet i think that uh, black people also consume a, a big part of their sort of observable consumption is a way of defying racism as well. It's a way of saying that I too can be clad in, in luxurious items and look how I make it, look how I fashion it, look how dynamic and how cool and look at my swag. There is, I think that's a, there's, there's defiance in that, but I also feel that the purveyors of these items know that, you know, these are things that are, are case studied and they're definitely in the, in the, the psychographic of the, of the, say, the black consumers. And I think that these brands really do lean on that, are marketing it to that, and are raising the bar even higher. And that's where I feel the imprisonment is, uh, you know, amongst our community is even greater, even trying to defy that, that whole racial, you know, marginalization sort of thing. I just think that it just makes it even more, puts us in a more desperate position, let's say. Yeah, I think the racism point is is a stretch personally like I see what you're saying you know um, someone of color walks into a luxury store and they're being profiled they're being followed by security the staff are giving them side eye and that might inspire you to say actually I'm gonna actually spend my money here I'm gonna throw down and show you that actually I am that bitch or whatever I can see that being a thing but yeah, I don't know. I have to think about the racism point because it, it seems a bit like a stretch. But I do think that, yes, it's 
almost marketing 101 at this point, make people feel really shitty and make them feel like they need and want your product. And this is definitely no different speaking and playing into that economic, socioeconomic status factor. But what I will say is that there has also been a huge, huge rise in counterfeit products, right? People who are now actively working with factories or people to create knockoffs fuel this insatiable need for designer goods that people actually can't afford. So, you know, when you even think about really classic places like Canal Street, they are thriving because they're selling those counterfeit goods and they're even making more of a markup. Before it was like, hey, do you want this Fendi bag? It's $30. Now they're like, do you want this Fendi bag? It's like $120 because the real bag is so exponentially more expensive. And so I think that we also have to take that into account that we can't really at face value assume that everything we're seeing is in fact real designer. I think that the counterfeit market is really on fire right now as a result of, you know, logomania and all of this stuff just flooding the marketplace at these insane prices. That's a really, that's a really excellent point and something I actually didn't sort of focus on. But yeah, that is an excellent point. It has been a boon. <laughs> this period has been a boon for counterfeit products. And you're absolutely right. Everything you see out there is definitely not real. <laughs> exactly. Not real. Like, do you remember back in the day, it was like, it was counterfeit because Gucci was Gucci. And, and now it's like, it's, it's almost like in the art industry where you have these incredible fakes where even in the fashion spaces, like to my earlier point about all of these influencers with their Hermes, it's like, I don't actually really know how many of them are real. I don't know how many of them would even be identifiable as a counterfeit, even within the fashion spaces of quote unquote. And it's funny because I was talking to my sister about this because I was just like, this is so wild how many influencers have Birkins and Kelly bags. I don't even think they produce them like that. You know, usually with, with wait lists and you know, all these custom colors that could take a couple of years and all of that sort of thing. And she said that she actually only believes the influencers who make the point to do the unboxing. Like, mm-hmm. I got my MS, here's the orange <laughs> box with the tie, I'm going to undo the tie and then show all of the the unwrapping, you know, the, the felt that comes around oh. all the hardware, really to show that it's coming from MS versus just, hi, right. look at my new... And I thought that was something that was really interesting, because, you know, my sister's <laughs> younger and I'm just like, wow... These young'uns are like really establishing codes for authenticity and like what to look out for. I never would have thought about that. I actually never would have thought about that. And she was like, you'll see a trend. The ones that are actually unboxing are the ones that really like invested or, I mean, not gifted. I don't think I'm as gift, but otherwise they're either borrowing it, they're counterfeit or something else. That's so. Uh- that's a major point, actually. That's a major point. And uh, no doubt that that is happening. But I also want to make another point, because in this space, during this time, part of the, part of the when I was writing the article last year on the Black Spending Power, the fastest growing uh, sort of consuming segments are Black females. So it's not to say that you know, the Black community is not rising and advancing as a consuming segment. And also, uh, let's look at Africa, uh, for the record. Africa is also the fastest growing uh, consumer segment. I, I believe the, the sort of wealthy Africans, the, the term for them is called like black diamonds. 
if you see these black oh, diamonds sh- flexing, ac- <laughs> flexing across the globe, consuming, you know, X amount of Hermes and whatever luxury items they want to, yeah, they have the spending power and can play the luxury game like any of their white counterparts anywhere in the world. It's not to say that, you know, as black people, we can't consume luxury items and we shouldn't consume luxury items and appreciate them and show them and all those sort of things. I, the reason why I found that this was an important thing to discuss is because, as we know, often we look to uh, a consuming segment, the one that doesn't necessarily have the economic might, but they have the sort of like stylish influence, and they will go to whatever the degree in order to acquire those things. We have seen this for decades now. And embarking on this period, this period, again, the bar is so high because what you have to spend in order to participate, it's such a heavy, heavy buy-in. I think it warrants a bit of scrutiny, um, as I said, because I don't know if this is really being discussed out there in culture, certainly amongst the black community. You see the consumption happening, but you do not see the conversations happening about why. Yeah, I mean, to your point about Africa, I I think that's an interesting one, but I do think that's also bit more complex. I think there's so many things that play there. I don't know what the stats are now, but maybe three, four years ago, it was something like 10 of the top 15 emerging economies were in Africa. And I think that that is a fact that comes into play because Africa historically has been a really underserved market. And it's only in recent years that luxury brands have really made that investment to build retail and develop e-com and shipping and all of that infrastructure robustly. That's only really happened in the last few years. So you see like LVMH really investing in building retail, particularly in the wealthier, more politically stable countries like Ghana and Nigeria. And so I think that that also is a main factor where a lot of the Western markets and Asia is very saturated. And I think there has been this kind of gangbusters mentality of quick, let's get to Africa. The economies are rising. Tech is really being developed there. The Chinese investment is huge, which is really making way for more conducive infrastructure. So I do think that a lot of that has to do with almost this kind of gold rush mentality. So I think that's also why we are seeing a rise from that sector, where I think traditionally wealthier Africans were were traveling, like you just said, they were traveling to New York, London, Paris, Italy, China, to buy their luxury goods. I think that that's maybe a couple of layers that go into that African conversation. Right. And actually, let me expand on that a bit. <laughs> Speaking about the, the wealthy emergence in Africa, in the Middle East, and in Asian countries, I really want to underscore this. This trend, this logo mania trend that we're seeing, it has so been embraced by the wealthy, the extremely wealthy people in these regions. But I dare say that influence is largely coming from the streets of America and Black American culture. Let's let's map, let's let's bookend that with the hip hop culture and their amplifying of these luxury brands out there. Them, their amplifying of the you know belonging 
through association and through consumption with these luxury brands. That trend and that influence is largely coming from the streets of America and American culture. That's a, that's a huge, and when I, when I say that it's been um, permeated in, in, in African, Middle Eastern, and Asian cultures, we're talking about sort of patrician, we're talking about the moneyed set, we're talking about those who have real, real, real money, and they are using the influence of, of, of that American culture to determine how, what they buy, what they wear, and how they show up in the world. So let's not miss that. I, I, one of the reasons why we did Misa Hilton is because her story and her influence through the hip-hop culture was never documented. I wanted to, I think, hi, um, headline that interview or that conversation with, you know, Misa Hilton was responsible for billions of dollars that was, you know, spent in fashion over a four-decade period. And I think that is what's happening now. Black and brown people, regardless of the sort of like political, sociological, psychological uh, profiling here, there's so much to unpack in this, you know, in this influential space that they found themselves. But just on the face of it, that influence is incredibly pervasive and permeating across fashion consumption in the world. That is really, while we don't have exacting stats on this, it is certainly, certainly responsible for uh, for a multi, multi-million dollars worth of consumption across the fashion space. I do want to I mean, highlight that. For sure. I mean, I don't even think you need stats. I think you just need eyes. You know, I think when you mm. see how these perceived trends and styles are interpreted in these different markets, in these different regions, you can see that. You can see that across the world. You can see it on the catwalks. Even with Really unexpected brands like a Comme des Garçons, they're sending their models out in cane rows and, or corn rows, as you say, in America. And you see that influence everywhere. I think the issue is that a lot of people don't know what they're looking at. They think that it's unique to that brand or they think that it's copied off of, I don't know, another brand. And so these things really aren't unique at all. I think black culture has always been the source. I think it's really safe to say that. It's just, constantly reimagined and reinterpreted by different brands and other facets of culture, etc. And we're seeing that now with free brands. I think if you look at brands like Moose Knuckle and Tiffany's are doing, their rebrand is definitely taking influence from Black culture. And I think that a lot of brands and people who look for style inspiration often tap into black culture because it's just it's interesting and it's always got a unique point of view based off of very unique experiences particularly when you speak about African Americans that whole lineage that whole history is so unique to the black people in America and out of that there's music and there's writing and there's fashion and there's style which I separate from fashion and I think that that's always really interesting to non-Black people because aesthetically it's, it's amazing and it's fly. I think a lot of people overlook the context or how things have come about and take that at face value and just injects it into whatever they're doing. But we saw that again with Misa Hilton and Dapper Dan and their philosophies on styling and circumventing situations. The whole idea of remixing came from far back as slavery. When you look at hair... That was really a way of passing on generational information. That was a way of retaining culture. That was a way of communicating in many cases, you know, and so to arbitrarily put that on a catwalk 
as if that doesn't mean anything, I think is where the arguments and issues with appropriation come in. But I think the style that you're referencing is is no different. I just believe that. And I think that Black culture will always be the source for many things because it's ever-changing, it's infinite, and it's just amazing. Well, here's the thing. I'd be encouraged if more of these conversations were happening in our community because while we didn't touch on poverty and ignorance <laughs> and the lack of leadership and, you know, sort of our sort of misguided our misguided way of life. There's there's a whole bunch of stuff in there to unpack. And I would love if I were able to cite examples of where we at least our awareness was there. We're aware of what we're doing, we're aware of our output, we're aware of where we stood in the culture, even if we're being wanton, even if we're being excessive. I feel that it would be service if we showed as a community that we have an understanding about how we're positioned in culture as it, um, as it relates to consumption. And I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily feel so. I think that in, in attempting to sort of escape poverty, I think we sometimes really rush into material, or material areas or material consumption that is really not about necessarily the advancing of our culture, is more of a distraction. It's about ways of, it's about ways to make our feel sort of satisfied and feel, you know, sort of softened in the moment. But it's not really as a cultural movement, it's not a way to ad, to advance us as a culture. But there, there's so much in there that I don't, I, I don't know if we would unpack that in this conversation at all. I mean, yeah, but ultimately people want what they want. And I don't necessarily think that, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that many people are intellectualizing their oh, purchase no, habits. No. Yeah, no, I don't think no, they're intellectualizing no, no. their shopping habits or the way they perceive style fashion, the way that they compare themselves to others. And I don't think people are really thinking about that. That's not a judgment. I'm just saying that people just want what they want and then aim to get what they and want. It's, and it's funny, you know, our community is so God-fearing and so God-centric. And in many ways, it could beg the, beg the argument, have our... Have the interest of community shifted into sort of uh, praying to money as opposed to, you know, to the traditional worshiping of God sort of thing. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a shift, maybe it's something a little bit darker that's happening as well. There's a, a greater shift in culture where our values are being placed in other things and not necessarily, and this is not coming from a religious person for the, for the record, but in terms of sort of how we were socialized and where our values lie, maybe there's a significant shift that's taking place right now that needs to further, further scrutiny. Do you mean like the the sort of susceptibility to to worshiping, or are you literally saying that the replacement of of God with money? The replacement, the latter. Yeah, yeah the replacement. Yeah, no, they're, they're, no, them, they're, them's, they're a, them's are strong words, but uh, I, would, I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't agree with that. Coming well, from like a very have... religious background and really understanding it when it comes to religion, but. That's your take. There's there's something there. There's something there that we may have to revisit in another podcast for sure. But yeah, no, I feel that there may be, there may be, or at least it's it's worthy of discussing that there may be a shift in values as to what us, what the black community holds dear, where their values lie. And that may no longer be in that, you know, that God-fearing space. It may really be about conspicuous consumption and money is the new religion. I said what I said. 
I don't disagree. I mean, I think the religious specific part is questionable, but yes, the value systems have definitely shifted, but I think that is a global trend. I think that's a generational thing. I think that's a modern day culture thing. I don't, I personally don't think it's attributed specifically to black culture. I think it's across the board for sure. I think you see that everywhere. Well, on that note, Henrietta, this was definitely an interesting and, and quite, you know, this, is, this could be potentially polarizing, but this is, this is a subject I would definitely love to revisit in the future. And maybe we can bring in a guest, someone working out there um, in, in the culture, uh, literally tracking and looking at how Black people consume to weigh in on this. But I, I find this a very, very interesting development in culture. And I, I see it as hugely, hugely pervasive. And we touched on some of these issues here. And I would definitely love to hear from the audience in about their observations surrounding these developments. Oh, I, when you said a guest, I thought you were going to say, you know, we'll bring in a guest, someone who's living in abject poverty, but still wears designer <laughs> brands. I would love to speak to them to see where their head's at. <laughs> Working three jobs, barely paying their way in society, but has all of the logos you could possibly imagine. Well, maybe that maybe that is a better example. Maybe that's a better example to cite. But while we should actually verbalize this, um, and we will probably use this as sort of illustrative image. You sent me an image, uh, Henrietta, that was brilliant. I love it. It is a man who's wearing a Gucci, a black man who's wearing a Gucci logoed cap and also a Gucci T-shirt. And in his hand, uh, he's holding a book prominently showing to the viewer. And the title of the book is Black Awakening in Capitalist America. I don't know if there was any irony to the setup, but the image sort of, (laughs) the image says quite a bit. And when we publish it, please take a look at it. I think that's a very, very, very telling image here to illustrate uh, some of the issues that we discussed here. Indeed. You said what you said. On that note, we will catch you the next time. Ciao. Bye. Time for something new uh, It's a time for coming through